2021. Now I want to reassure you, our audience, our unusually intelligent and amazing audience, that the fact that I paused there on August does not in any way at all mean that I forgot what month it is for just a brief split second. No, I knew it was August because it's it's August. It's the month of Augusty things. What Dornal, what the hell happens in August? I I think we take a break from all the month long holidays. It's not some history month. It's not Pride Month. I think it's just back to school sale month. That's it. It's just a retail month, and time for it's, it's time not for even everybody. Like Leafs changing month. No, like... August. August is the month where we celebrate. We've really enjoyed this summer, but it's it's enough of the heat, and it's time to change seasons now. Oh, does it get cool this month? Does it cool down? Uh, I mean, get it, compared to July. Yes, <laughs> depends I mean, on where you live. Utah. In Utah, it's still, you know, scorching hot. Sometimes clear up until October, but, you know. Yeah, you you guys have two seasons, winter and construction. Yeah. Oh. Man, I love this state. I, I feel weird saying this because they drive like idiots, not maniacs. Idiots. Californians drive like maniacs. Utahs drive like idiots. Um, but I love the people of this state. It feels weird to say, but man, the weather in this state is awful. <laughs> I mean, the state is literally a desert. Uh, I'm going to take just half a second to say this. When people came to this state to settle in the Great Salt Lake Valley, it was an alkaline desert. They had to irrigate the land for three years just to leach the alkaline compounds out of the soil before they could even begin to plant crops. I mean, that's... A hellish place to live where you have to irrigate for three years just so the poison in your soil won't kill the plants you're trying to plant. And now it's a pretty, now it's a pretty, uh, I guess, feckoned place, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's Utah. It's got the weather of a desert. Yeah, you guys did all right for yourselves. So, so how's your week? My week's pretty good. Mostly work, I'll say. Uh, getting back into the old swing of things and the, at the old nine to five. I don't want to get too current event and too political, but I foresee myself working from home indefinitely as uh, as 
companies uh, are starting to insist on harm injecting harmful chemical chemicals or pos potentially harmful chemicals in your body in exchange for the privilege of going into the office and and i'm not going to say anything more about that but uh, uh that's 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 the news out here on the on the west coast here this is not political but it is hilarious they had a zoom meeting on cnn and one of the dudes was caught massaging the monkey on camera all of his co-workers saw it my goodness and the dude wasn't fired okay they kept him it's, on at cnn yeah cnn i remember this story because you can whip it and whip it good on a cnn company zoom call and still keep your job as a media personality at cnn but three guys are coming to work unvaccinated got summarily fired strange days we live in strange days by the way that with it with it good was a devo reference in case we have anybody in the audience listening devo it's a it's a post-punk song from the 80s uh, go check it out i i'm sorry i have to jump in now but <laughs> It, you have uh, mischaracterized that song grievously. Uh, the, oh, the, sure. The, the impetus of that song was that you, sh you should go forward, move ahead. It was about Jimmy Carter hitting a very, very tough time in his presidency. And it was really, it was really about writing an ode to how Jimmy Carter could press on and ultimately overcome the doldrums that he was facing. And such as it is, it's, it's an inspiration to us all to this day, how we can all climb out of our own sloughs of despond. I'm, I'm not, I was not trying to characterize the song. I was using the title as a euphemism. But as that's a wholesome, it's a wholesome song. It is a intrinsically wholesome song and i'm just ooh, <laughs> I, I just wish we could i almost wish we could start over now i'm i'm embarrassed that we even went there <laughs> <laughs> i never knew that about whip it i i'm now inspired by devo um i'm, I'm done that's it that's me the green is shut down it's time to bring the guests on yeah. Hey, oh, I had a great week show. this week in one thing. What? Um, apparently, I still have HBO Max. I'm not saying that really super surprised me, but did kind of. It, it did kind of sneak up on me. Um, so when the uh, Suicide Squad came out this week. Uh, instead of having to go to the theaters, which I can't right now, um, uh, I got to watch the Suicide Squad opening night on my TV without being charged anything else. Unlike Disney, who has the absolute gall to want to charge me 20 bucks to see Black Widow and 20 bucks to see The Jungle Cruise, what just came out. Um, 
so I watched the Suicide Squad and um, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I recommend it to people. I and did then not expect Wendy, those words to come out of your mouth. No, neither did I. I'm shocked. I'm floored. I enjoyed it. Somebody replied to me on Twitter and got all pissy about it and said, if this is what people think of modern movies, we're in trouble. I'm like, dude, it entertained me. It kept me entertained for two hours. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about plot holes and things like that. What else am I supposed to expect from an action movie, a superhero action movie? What else do I want from it? It entertained me for two hours. Am I supposed to have higher expectations than that from a superhero action movie? Because I've seen superhero action movies that didn't entertain me for two hours. I've seen ones that were awful and ones that were boring and ones that sucked so hard. I wanted to retroactively erase them from the timeline. You know? I've seen Batman versus Superman. I saw the Justice League. You know, I know what bad movies are like. This one didn't suck. It was entertaining. Idris Elba did a great job. So I don't know. I don't know what else I'm supposed to expect no, that's, out of it. No, that's it. All right, let's... Uh... Let's talk D&D because it's literally my favorite topic of all time. So just one other thing. What? Next month when Dune comes out in the theaters, I'll be able to see it first night on my TV because it's coming out on HBO Max. So okay. I'll be able to tell you exactly how much that thing sucks or doesn't suck. Who the hell is Timothy Chalamet? I don't know. I mean, I know he's playing Paul Atreides in the movie, but who was he before that? Because he yeah. looks like a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> you got me. Did anybody in the chat know? Drop a, drop a response yeah. in the chat. Like, who was he before he was in Dune? We'll find out if chat has anything to say. He was in that King film. I don't know what that means. Oh, we got joke responses. Of course we do. I expected that. No, do you keep on saying D and D, and you keep on being right. I know. I know. You're right. Do it. You, you hear me think about it. Um, yeah, Jeffro Johnson. Thanks for coming on. It's so good to have you back on the show. I want to talk about D and D. Daddy Warping wants to talk about D and D. What do you want to talk about? I, I came here to redefine role playing games. Okay, that's a tall order. <laughs> Let me give a little background for anybody who isn't uh, familiar with the with your saga. Is that okay, or were you planning on doing that? Oh, I think saga is very much. It's very much uh, apropos here. Like if if you've seen uh, the movies about people climbing El Cap, this is definitely a struggle that is isomorphic to all the pitfalls and terrors and challenges that those men who overcame Yosemite's 
of signature climb. This is this is the tabletop gaming challenge of the century, and uh, it did not disappoint in any area. Holy cow! We, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit last week. You right? Been... You you can't not talk about it. That's 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 <laughs> how you know. That's how you know that there has been a a, a shift in the gaming landscape and the in the way people think about it. Uh, you know, with Appendix N, we you know we you know we 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 put together a, a framework for like actually understanding the rules, and that was so effective and that was so useful at the table that uh, after the, re the release of that book, you could never talk about D&D without being fluent in the key concepts that were, were developed in, in that treatment. Um, what's happening now is that it's happening again, but it's happening at, a, at like an even deeper level. A, a deeper level. So it, let me rephrase what I learned from Appendix N was that um, although a lot of the OSR types who went back and rediscovered all the old rules and styles of play and everything, um, they got the, while they got a lot of the technical aspects of the rules right and rediscovered the fun games such as hex crawls and sandboxes and things like that uh, actually digging deep into the literary uh, roots of dungeons and dragons helps you understand where those weird game mechanics and systems and characters and monsters came from so i mean that's that's a pretty fundamental change it's it's sort of like not only what am i doing but why am i doing it or how did this come to be yeah and, yeah that, and, that's fair that's fair um most people, because they had a different understanding of fantasy than than uh, the creators of D and D, uh, they they will look at the things that the rules take for granted, um, and and then they're all smart guys. They're all very very smart guys, each and every one. And so they look at it and they like, oh, that's not realistic, or that's not how fantasy works. And so then they get, they immediately change the game uh, to be more in line with what they think is is good or or correct or or um you know something that's in line with their imagination so what, what's actually happening there when that process happens nine times out of ten or probably more like 99 times out of a hundred uh you see someone that lacks the imagination necessary to play the rules as they were designed because they can't imagine those rules making any sense at all so when you go back and you read you familiarize yourself with the, the literary resources of the game. Uh, now, now, keep in mind that at the time that this work was being done, what did uh, the, the purist section of the OSR get accused of doing? We got accused of searching for the er d d that we were going to like go back into these books and we were going to like piece together the er d d the, the primordial d d that that presaged the actual game and then we we're going to like we we're going to like build a cult around this and then people would like they would like suddenly they'd be playing like our, our weird taliban version of the game rather than actually playing D, &D. that was that that was the accusation but what really happens when you become familiar with 
things like the, where the paladin class came from and where the magic systems come from and 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 so on and so forth all those things which are now very much old hat but as you look into those resource those those sources those foundations you you be you become able to interpret the rules in their own terms which means you can you can begin to like you could begin the project of playing the game that actually got made uh, in you know 1974 and in 1977, 79. Uh, uh, that's fascinating. Sort of turns it on its head. Um, I hate to I hate to follow up your story with another one, but yeah, my experience is the same. You you know we're kids and and playing around with D and D, and nobody really taught us how to play, but we sure loved our lord of the rings books and video games and tv shows so it was like yeah i i hate this this spell memorizing thing let's just spell points you know every first thing everybody does to D D is spell points um that sort of thing and so uh, instead of and now we call that D D, but if you really want to really think about it and go into the history as you said no that's it's a different game and it might be fun but let's find out what actual D D is like and uh see see what's good in it that's my interpretation of your of your saga. Yeah. Although you're, you're you're going you're going way farther. You're trying to remake the whole thing. Remake? Uh, no, it's no uh, redefine. Redefine. Re, sorry. Well, we we've rediscovered something that was lost. Um, so um, so imagine you got uh, a group of guys in the year 2020 uh, getting together playing um, playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons week to week. Uh, and, and just and just not stopping and and then like here, this is the thing that sets us apart uh, from basically every other every other group I've heard about every other you know there's like maybe one exception uh, who goes uh, you know, Rick Stump of course um, yeah but like you know I, you know I'm not gonna let his existence stop me from making the sweeping generalizations that actually correspond to reality. Um, so when, when you have all these people coming together that have, uh, cause every, everybody in it had, had, had read my, you know, appendix in basically, and had, had, had gone in and read the books for themselves. And so, and we, and we were looking at the, the AD and D rules, which were, you know, at the time, very imposing. Um, this, this is a game I've never heard of anyone actually playing it. Um, you know, you know, except Rick, um. Like uh, most people, like, like James Malazuski, his take on it was that most people that played AD&D, they were playing basically basic D&D, but with more, more classes and more magic items and more monsters. But, but mm -hmm. basically, the, the, yeah, the, the, the gameplay, it was basic, but with extra stuff. Um, uh, most most people, if the subject of playing AD and D by the book ever comes up, uh, you know, people's first response is, "Well, even Gygax didn't play that game by the book." You know, uh, it, it's this thing that's always framed as like nobody could do that; it can't be done. It can't be done. It's ludicrous to suggest that it could be done. Yeah, have, have, and, you, and, have you ever seen those those grappling tables? No way. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's absurd. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody? Yeah. So every time, thank you. That's exact. Every time that the rules got hard, um, what happened in our games was we we would just be like, and I and I, I would apologize to some of the people there that that were there to play a game and not necessarily do uh, gaming archaeology, but I, I'd say like, 
look, we know there's a rule for this. We're going to stop and look it up and we're going to figure it out. Um, and that's that's a fascinating part of it that you described that because that's normally that's one of the biggest no no's at the table. Like you don't normally want to break the action. Most of the time you say, hey, you know, just make a call and then we'll revisit it after the session. But you just stopped everything and you said, no, we're going to figure out how to actually play this game right now. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't easy. Um, you know, Gygax's writing is, is, is pretty dense. Um, and, and there's always something to it. Like every time we would go and try to apply significant aspects of the rule that we, that we were unfamiliar with, we would get it, you know, basically half right for a long time. And then it, and it wouldn't be until like weeks later that you'd, you'd, you'd go back and, and contemplate the rules that you would, you know, we would see like, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. We were doing the negative 10 hit points rules wrong. You know, oh, that's that's um, that's actually in there. And then with the uh, with the grappling rules, you know, somebody threw those at me in the middle of a game just just to because uh, they were elite players trying to 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 uh, get one over on the DM. And um, but like it, it took several sessions to gain mastery. Um, and so Wait, the negative 10 rule is an AD and D. It, it's in AD and D. The rule is that if you're at zero exactly, then you're not dead. You you um you're you're just out of commission. From that point on, you go negative negative one, negative two each combat round down to negative ten. If nobody tends to you until you by the time you get to negative ten, then you're dead. So it's a very very narrow case. You know, early on in the game, we had people coming out of the dungeon all the time that were you know mortally wounded and could recover. Uh, but you know the actual rule is that's only for the guys that are dropped to zero hit points exactly, and then there's like a little little bitty uh, optional rule there that you could maybe expand that out to to going down to negative three, um, but we we ended up never going back to that. So yes, um, and and everything in the game is like that. Like like um, you know I, I could see why people would want to play the basic is because you know you. You don't want like 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 the the morale rule, right? You don't want like it, it's like a whole page of stuff, and 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 you're like, I just want to play D and D. You know, that's that's you. That's your reaction. You're like, look, man, I just want to play D and D, man. Just like, let, right. let, you know, I don't, I, you know, and, and so you you um, you know, it's not until you accept the fact that Gygax is a, a, a genius creator. Uh, who knows more about where what this game needs and where it's going than you do? Uh, that uh, as you spend time with these rules, what happens is, is the thing that happens is the thing that everybody claims couldn't happen because, like everybody, I've heard countless people, even Frank Mentor certainly said it, that you cannot learn D and D from the rules. Um, if if you actually spend the time. And when it gets hard, slow down and stay at it anyway. If you take the time, what happens is as you do what Gygax says, you, in fact, become acculturated to the mid-70s miniatures gaming culture. And you start to, th this culture, with this is like our big beef with, with the boomers is that they failed to do this. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna like give one guy a pass uh, on this. Gygax actually wrote down everything you needed to know 
in order to be assimilated into the culture that he and his peers had created. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Holy cow. So I guess I just touched on the results of that. Uh, what was, cause all I saw, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I, I kept seeing these, uh, hilarious tweets from you and your players about crazy things that were happening in the game. And we tried to describe it last week and we just did not give it justice. So here you are, you say, we're going to play AD&D by the rules. We're going to do our best to, um, we're going to do our best to play them exactly by the rules and we're just going to see what happens. So can you take me through sort of what are the things that you learned uh, you can start anywhere you like, but I'd ask from the beginning, like, what did you start learning from playing those rules? Like, what was the first thing that emerged from that experience? Right. Um, okay. The um, there's it, it's it's hard because it, it, there's like literally ten or twenty different things that were all happening at once. Um, uh, but um, I, I guess the, the the there's two little insights that that gave me uh, the initial inspiration to, to really go for it. Uh, you know, uh, besides the fact of, of, you know, seeing Sky Hernstrom pick up the D, you know, the DMG himself and just, and just start running the game. You know, I, I looked at him doing that and, I, and like, that was when it really hit me. It's like, no, I can do this. I can totally do this. Um, uh, you know, I mean, if Sky's sitting there, like he doesn't care about <laughs> the kind of things that I'm, I'm, I, I would care about that, the things that I would, I would use to say disqualify myself or disqualify the uh, authenticity of my game, uh, like, like he just ran with it, um, and and of course you know and, and of course he did it with with his style, um, but um, it, you, you see it. You know, on the one hand, you know this is one of those things where the where the rules really don't matter. You you just you just dive in as soon as you say, okay, you know, roll up your characters. Here you are in this world, and you can you can do anything. And then there's modrons flying around on these skids skids and stuff. You know, as soon as you're there, you know, no, the the, the rules aren't the main thing at all. And 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 the fact that there are challenges aren't keeping you from from the process of of discovering what this world is. But, um, you know, just going back, uh, I, I, had, um, I had a conviction that all of the supplements for, for the D&D game, particularly the adventure modules, were, were creating a game for D&D, &D, uh, a different D&D &D than the D&D &D described in the rules. And, and um, when, I'd, when I'd run Keep on the Borderlands, there was uh, like a little small paragraph about the Lizard Man mound in, in, in there uh, on the way to the dungeon. And it's like a throwaway encounter. Uh, but I'd played several times with random people uh, where they engage with that. that it's, it's, it's just a simple, simple, simple encounter. Um, but like people would play with that and they would think that was the adventure. They, they would... They would work that. It would be like two or three hours. It would be a fresh group of players. They'd have that encounter, and they were like, "Man, we just whew, we're like gaming heroes. We like we we beat the game. That's we we won the adventure, you know." Wow. And, and and so you look at that, and you're like, "Well, how much do you need 
in terms of, of supplementary material or adventure design or any, how much do you need to run AD&D or, D&D or any, indeed any kind of D&D? It, like if that's all you need, like why are you spending hours pouring over modules that are supplements for a game that isn't actually described in the rules? Like then, you go back, you look at any 70s rule set. Metamorphosis Alpha is a great one, a great example of this. But they, they all assume, oh, yeah, you know, the, the DM, okay, it's going to be a little bit of work, but, like, he's basically got to create the entire campaign, right? And, and, you, and, you, and, you know, for me, like, who's a procrastinator, an improviser, you know, somebody who pantses everything, you know, it's like, gosh, you know, I don't, I don't, know, what the, I don't know what the players are going to want to do. Um, but when you realize, like, that, that, that you, you run, you know, you know for, for, for months, the, the Trilopulous campaign was literally... Um, the, the characters find this one monster wherever in the dungeon or in the wilderness, and and like you got you would get an entire adventure out of one monster manual entry, and everything else would just sort of just start it keep percolating, it keep growing, it keep developing little bit by little bit uh, until like this whole world was uh, coming into focus. Um, the oh and and of course the, the the key rule that allows a campaign world to come into focus is of course the one to one time rule, which um, which literally completely changes the way D and D works at a fundamental level. Um, uh, can, can can you describe that one? Because I I think I tried to do it justice last week, and and I don't know that I did it well. Actually, what. Uh, Let's instead of starting there, because um, it, it's axiomatic. It's axiomatic to D and D. If you, it, it's sort of like the parallel postulate in, in geometry, where if you change that, you get an entirely different system of geometry than than, than the Euclidean planar geometry. I'm sure this well, is self-evident to everyone in the audience here, right, guys? Specifically, the rule is one to one time during downtime. Uh well, hey, hey I, I did ask for a slide. I did. Ask, let, let's start backwards and work. Let, let's start at the end result and work backwards to the the axiom from which all of this derives. So let's let's take a look. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's here's a lot of guy Gaxian text here. Shall I read it? Oh, please, by all means. <clears throat> As with most other role playing games. This one is not just a single experience contest. It is an ongoing campaign with each playing session related to the next by results and participant characters who go from episode to episode. As players build the experience level of their characters and go forth seeking ever greater challenges, they must face stronger monsters and more difficult problems of other sorts. And here, the dungeon master must likewise increase his or her ability and inventiveness. While initial adventuring usually takes place in an underworld dungeon setting, play gradually expands to encompass other such dungeons, town, and city activities, wilderness explorations, and journeys into other dimensions, planes, times, worlds, and so forth. Players will add characters to their initial adventurer, as the milieu expands so that each might actually have several characters, each involved in some separate and distinct adventure form, busily engaged in the game at the same moment of game time. 
This allows participation by many players in games, which are substantially different from game to game, as dungeon, metropolitan, and outdoor settings are rotated from playing to playing. And perhaps a war between players will be going on, with battles actually fought out on the tabletop with miniature figures one night, while on the next, characters of these two contending players are helping each other to survive somewhere in a wilderness. Okay. All right, question for you guys. Have you ever played a game like the one that is described in that paragraph? No. Never. <laughs> right. Um, no, nobody has. Like, no, for, for 40 years, uh, the OSR has been picking over, you know, every module, every obscure magazine article, and like, you know, it's for, certainly for, for 15, 20 years, we've, we've been blogging about uh, this game D&D. Um, and this, this passage, it's not, it's not an obscure passage in an appendices. It's not a random passage in a weird corner of the DMG, okay? It's, it's not something he wrote in a weird fanzine. That passage appears in page seven of the player's handbook in the section called The Game, where he is setting up the players of AD&D, which was the top, top dog of, of, of RPGs for 10 years with every single magazine article uh, and, Dun and Dragon uh, uh, elucidating and expanding on the weirder and, and more incomprehensible rules elements of that game. This section is in the, the very, very beginning of the player's handbook. And it's saying this, this is the game that everybody's talking about. This is the game that everybody wants to play. And like you guys are telling me, you've never played that game. That's it. That's it. <laughs> It's true. It's true. I've never played that game. I, I, under, I can understand it. The, the, des the description makes sense, but no. Uh, ever since I, I started in, uh, you know, as an adolescent, like many of us, and it was just getting together and we'd tell stories. It, it'd be more like a superhero game. Like we'd tell so these sagas about these characters that we make, you know, and if the character dies, maybe you make another one or maybe you quit the game or something like that. It was never we we never had one person who stuck it out with one campaign setting uh, to us a campaign meant this world might persist but it exists for your stable of characters like we're, we're just going to play this world and when these characters sort of either defeat the big bad guy or their characters stories wrap up we're probably just going to call it like you know that that's enough for that's enough for now. Let's go play something else, right? Yeah, right. So what one to one time is, and this is this is the most important thing about it. Um, uh, on, on one side, you know, uh, like a, the first little phase, which I heard you guys talking about this last week. Your first aha moment when you start using it is, of, of course, you know, the monsters get recovery time uh, from when the play. So the fifteen minute workday dies. You know. When you add one-to-one -one time and the, the players do a dungeon delve on Tuesday night and then a week later they come back and they're like, okay, we want to go back to that same dungeon. You know, they've had a week to recover uh, real time, uh, but then in the game time, the monsters have had a week 
to maybe get some more allies or maybe make some traps or, or change the dungeon a little bit. Um, and so that, in that regard, uh, the game becomes much less static. And, 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 um, and, and again, if you go back to that exact same spot six weeks later, then there's no telling what you're going to find there. So the world, the first thing that happens with one-to-one -one time is that the world takes on an independent existence from merely entertaining one particular group of, part of characters. Um, but uh, as it goes on, when you have players that are told, no, you can't play your favorite character this week because he's injured, or no, he's, uh, he's got to train for two weeks because I graded you poorly on your role playing of a magic user. You didn't, you used, you used a dagger to kill those guys instead of a spell. I'm gonna mark you down, so it's gonna take you longer to train. Um, as, you, as you get into those, those kind of things, the, the party combination starts changing instead of being like the fellowship of the ring of the of, of the ring where you've got like this 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 sort of pantheon of, of of character archetypes that are joined at the hip and always in the spotlight what happens with uh one-to-one -one time is like every week it's like a totally different combination of characters and furthermore um as in the case of one of my un undead scenarios the players come in and uh this part of the game that had stymied them like they had they'd gotten into the game and they they had uh they they leveled their first characters and then they became like really conservative like they didn't they didn't want to lose their characters on something stupid so they so they stopped they 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 became over attached to their players i think and became over cautious to the point where it wasn't any fun for me to run the game anymore but when you swapped out all their favorite 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 special snowflake characters um and then replaced them with like totally stupid things that they don't normally play that just so happen to be uh, perfectly fitted to this one scenario that had embarrassed them a couple of months back. Well, they, they wrecked, they wrecked my dungeon. They wrecked my one page dungeon so bad that uh, uh, I had to rethink how I was even uh, planning the campaign anymore because, because oh, anything I would make for the campaign, you know, by the time it would get into play, uh, the players and the characters and everything that were in motion, they were totally different. Um, but all that aside, that's just that's just like the basic basic level of what one to one time does to your game. Uh, where one to one time becomes beautiful is is what is when it when it produces the type of gameplay that you see in this paragraph here that we've just read, where you've got multiple active characters all over the map. Uh, doing all kinds of things uh, concurrently. Um, what happens when you go there is, um, you know, instead of instead of the the game world being this this thing that exists only to entertain a, a particular group of adventurers, right? Um, in order to give them the impression that they had an adventure, right? That was fair and that was everything else. Like, um, uh, ooh. One more tangent here. Uh, I want to call that uh, one. This is one more basic level benefit to the one-to-one -one time. Is um, it puts so many things uh, in motion at once and so many elements in the game at once. Uh, you know, Kenneth Height had this thing called uh, Adventure Pizza, which was a, a column in, in, in Pyramid way back in the '90s, I think. Um, and so he'd like throw out like ten dumb ideas and say, "Look, if you put all these things together." You can have an adventure pizza, right? You know, with these ingredients, and and he and he, and he, he would like, and it would always be like, wow, that, how did that guy get so smart that he could like make an adventure out of anything, right? Well, like a one-to-one -one game, 
um, where you've got the time element of it and, and where you have the players have total autonomy to do whatever they want, that game, like I, I used to, like back in the day, I would like have like six adventure seeds for any module I was running uh, in order to give the players the impression that they had autonomy in the game world. Um, well, under one-to-one -one time in, in an all original campaign with no module, what we ended up with was when there's actual autonomy and an actual living campaign world that has its own existence apart from the players, then you get so many things that are generated over time. Uh, like I don't open a session telling the players, oh, hey, here's the adventure hooks that you have to choose from. The players come into the session and they're talking about, hey, you remember that thing that happened six sessions ago? Yeah, like, we, let's, let's, go, let's go do something with that. And they get an argument over like three or four different things before I can even update them on what's happening in, in the wider world, you know, based on rumors and things like that. So like, it, like the, you, know, you lose control of the game. Um, but yeah, back to this paragraph. One-to-one uh, -one doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't become what it really, really is until you have multiple independent parties acting in the same campaign with total autonomy. When that happens, instead of like, like an adventure that is created in what we call stop time, where you, do, where you don't have one-to-one -one time, like every, at the end of the session, you just stop it and then yeah. come back the next day. Those create uh, a point. The, the campaign world in that, uh, in that context becomes a point. If players have total autonomy and one-to-one -one, um, and there's only one party, you get a line in terms of what your campaign is. Uh, you know, you're, so your, 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 your party is doing like there and back again journeys all over your campaign map. You don't know where they're going to go. You don't know what they're going to do. But you end up, you just have like this sort of like spiraling of this one little group going through there. When you've got multiple independent parties maybe also with multiple independent characters, say somebody's assassin character is operating in downtime to go spy out a given group or maybe assassinate somebody there or, or get intelligence and then return uh, back to the other group and bring that to the, to the game. You know, as you, as you increase these number of independent variables uh, in the campaign setting, uh, you, get, you get something fundamentally different than what everybody else thinks of as adventuring. What you get is a model of a fantasy world. And um, when you add it to a couple of other things that we discovered in the process, you, you know, everyone says that they're playing D&D wrong because they want to get a better narrative, a better story. Uh, they want to get something like what they think fantasy stories are. I'm saying they, they all stink at that. Like they, they, they all failed wrong. They, they wanted to play a Tolkien-esque type game. You can't play a Tolkien-esque type game without one-to-one -one time and without independent parties moving around on the same campaign map. Um, and I'm going to cite as the, the example of that is, of course, the two towers where you have the breaking of the fellowship. Uh, conventional D&D cannot handle this type of scenario. One-to-one um, uh, -one time is so useful in helping you manage and regulate independent actions um, and, 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 and keep them all with the exact same resources. Uh, it allows you to play a game 
that after you after you like write down what everything that happened, you end up with a story, uh, a narrative that is as complex and as and as uh, hyper specific even as the action that you see in the two towers where you have Frodo and Sam going off to do their adventures. And then you have Merry and Pippin getting kidnapped and doing their adventures. And then you have, uh, you know, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas going off and having their adventures. Um, there, there's no reason that you couldn't take that and run with it uh, in, a, in a regular campaign. Just absolutely none. Uh, have I persuaded you on that? Like, do you, can you see that that is the case or like, is there, what am I, I missing on that? Uh, okay, so I understand how having, like allowing for multiple characters allows something like the breaking of the fellowship to happen. Um, take me from uh, take me from A to B, not that I don't understand, but I think it might help to, to spell it out. What one-to-one uh, -one time, once again, where every day that passes uh, in the real world, uh, a day passes in your fantasy world, how does that cause those things to happen? How, uh, how do you get from A to B, in other words? How does one-to-one -one time make that happen? Um, well, it, it adds an entirely new dimension to the gameplay. Like, like if you went into a dungeon that only had one dimension, right? That it was just a tunnel, right? That, that would be kind of a, a boring game, right? Even though most adventures for 3.5 era D&D &D are, are basically isomorphic to a tunnel. Um, but no, that's intrinsically bad D&D &D for reasons that the OSR has gone into ad nauseum. Am I right? Yeah. Right. And... Um, uh, and a hex crawl is going to be, uh, you know, two dimensional. If you can go anywhere on a hex crawl, right? You're you're there. That's that's two dimensional gaming. But when time is added as an element, when we ran the super insane July uh, Trilopulous patron level domain game, uh, continuous play game last month, I, I think that illustrates this. Um, you, you, you set all these pieces on the campaign map and, and you think, oh yeah, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just going to be like regular D and D. It's just at a larger scale. No problem. You know, what, what we found out when we moved up there is like, uh, uh, like on a lark, you know, I had just drawn on the campaign map, uh, six caves, right. For, um, for the, uh, for the caveman federation and, and, the time and space rules, right? For this simple idea, like, oh yeah, there's like a hundred cavemen at each cave and they've got some dinosaurs and stuff. Yeah, go, let's go, let's just go play, let's go play, let's go. Um, what What's actually implied by what I created on the campaign map at the 30 mile hex level, uh, there was actually a tremendous amount of logistical problems in uh, like baked in to what I threw out there uh, in terms of like how how these cavemen are going to communicate with each other, although well, they have to have runners or something going. Well, how long does it take to get uh, a message from one cave to another? Oh, it's like it's a long time, you know. And then with with the mushrooms, right? You know, like we we played for like three four weeks straight, and the mushrooms like move to one place, which takes a week, and then they send some dudes to a couple of other places that takes ends up taking six or eight days. 
and 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 the um uh the uh the, the, the Tharks, the, the Martians out in the desert are, are sending the, these skiffs of warriors to go scout things out. And like the, for the, the setting of the game, like it, it took most of the game for like one scout trip to go check out Trilopolis and then return back to, to the, to the uh, Thark Empire to tell them what they saw. Um, and then finally you had like, um, you had uh, Macho Mandoff who started off the game in Trilopolis and, and, and it, he's, He's he, he he has like this terrible disaster. He gets you know he gets uh, kidnapped by John Wick and 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 then he's doing one thing and then he, he like he, he goes on one little mission and comes back and by the time he comes back, Trilopolis is like literally a different place. Like and, um, he goes to another place and accomplishes something. Um, comes back and then he's thinking you know hey what am I gonna do what am I gonna do you know with the with these you know hundred hug men that we just, you know, got from this keep we conquered, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, hey, you know what, let's, let's, let's just, let's dump them in the goblin city, right? Let's just dump them inside Neilbog, right? So like when he makes that decision and, and the world is in motion and, and things are developing on their own in spite of him, like, I, I don't, in that moment, I don't think, okay, all right, you've gone to the goblin city and you've got a hundred hugs and you're going to go do something really awesome now now let me make this a, a really great adventure story for you i'm going to build an adventure story for you right now that is like perfectly balanced to your skill level and, and everything else you know you know what he, what he got was what was there uh that was a result of like 10 different people making decisions that he had no idea what happened right mm -hmm. um so at that point, uh, the, the, the beauty of it, like of, of it all is, um, uh, well, it, it's sort of like the, the quantum ogre, right? Uh, cause like when you're, when you're playing a conventional game and you've got one encounter that you have prepped. And so the, the players go in the forest and like, did they go left or right? You know? Sure. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're going to encounter matter. that. Yeah. Okay. And, and when you have an actual world model operating in the background that your players don't know about. Um, not only do you have objective answers to every single thing that they wouldn't even think to ask, uh, but you know the people that have divination spells of any kind, or clairvoyance, or clairaudience, or any of those kind of like psi type spells that give information about stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, I guarantee you, like when you have a patron level game in operation, there are uncountable things happening on the map that would be really very important to anyone making decisions on the game. Like now with a real model running, you don't like make something up and then bend the world to produce an adventure that suits what you think would be fun, right? What you do is like, you know, oh, you're using a, a clear audience to check out this one square where you think something interesting might be happening. Oh, I can give you a hint about what's happening there that will inform what. So, like everything is objective. Everything, the small decisions that you make in the game with no information turn out to be hugely interesting. At least on the GM side, even when you don't know what all uh, is actually when you you don't even have an informed decision from a game design standpoint, right? For the players, this should be like this doesn't make any sense. Like we're you're in terra incognito now, um, so it, so, it sounds it sounds like it's sort of the 
the epitome or the end result of the story being an emergent property of the game. Um, uh, I've where I the common sort of dungeon master is either a storyteller or a wannabe game designer, and they're trying to craft a game experience. And one to one time forces you into a situation where you can't just twist reality around to fit the any preconceived narrative or, or preconceived game design. It's uh, it's simply a framework through which we, by enjoying the game, we create a narrative. Right. Well, it, it's if uh, we when we play this way, you are creating a simulation of a fantasy world that operates on its own. Um, it has a life of its own. You you are you're putting in domain level name level characters people with entire armies you can drop them into this environment which which you you know from doing wilderness adventures and everything else you know how to move around in this environment right you know you know how much time everything costs and things like that um but when when you uh, i'm going to take you back to the dawn of the hobby with with the bronsteins right um um the, the 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 dungeon master is the weak link of role playing so every everything that you've seen that that butters up the 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 sacrifice of the dm and the and the hard work that they do to make a game for people to play in and how how smart these smart boys really are okay dude the the dungeon master is the weak link okay you as a dungeon master are never ever going to be smarter than six people thinking independently okay so you as a dungeon master you aren't going to create this escape room for your players to pretend to play in you're going to set up a world you're going to give them total autonomy and you're going to let the model run its course um and uh, okay, yeah. so in in terms of let's talk about practically running the game. So I think we've got a good picture of how one to one time lets you better model this fantasy world and gives the players allows the players the freedom and autonomy that makes for a great game. That that I agree with. What is that good for on the dungeon master side? What uh, what does that yeah. help you do? And and what are what challenges does it create that are different right. from what you'd expect? You, what you do, you just, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'll tie this back to the Bronstein, uh, to, to describe this. Um, so, so, uh, when, when you, when you look at the early rule sets and you think, oh, I've got to make these adventures, right? Um, that's a lot of work to make a perfect adventure, right? When you don't have mm -hmm. any of the talent, um, uh, well, the reality is, is that your personal creation doesn't have to be anything like a professional gaming product in order to be successful. And in fact, it's probably better if it's really, really crappy because then you, you then you, you're willing to like go where the game actually wants to go and you're not out anything when, when you, you know, reorganize things to fit with what your, what your players are actually choosing session after session. Um, so instead of like, 
instead of like doing all this investment to make the perfect dungeon and then making your players play it right uh you have the freedom to just follow things as they develop organically themselves the uh the the old bronstein from the dawn of the hobby the uh the guy like it was it was like a, a sort of a precursor to a war game right it was sort of a pre-game to the war game and like to figure out the the local situation uh the guy who set this up uh like six or seven people took on different roles of people in the town like the the mayor the librarian the the sheriff or you know, who know whatever and um what he would do was like he would talk to each one individually and say okay here's what's going on what do you do and then he'd bring another one in here's what's going on what do you do and like they so there was no there was no rpg rules to really govern this it was like purely like you know they, they could do anything uh, well what was happening when he was talking to each one individually is like all the rest were like talking to each other in the other room having a blast plotting and scheming scheming and and like uh trying to set things up to trick each other right and the game went totally out of control um i'll tell you this that type of game doesn't require uh any kind of like great game design skill to set up it doesn't require a genius uh a, a, you know like a, a wannabe fantasy writer it doesn't require that type of person to make like it's literally just think of think up like some weird unstable situation turn these roles over to people to operate independently as far as they want make it wide open for them to do whatever they want and like here's the thing the group becomes more intelligently intelligent collectively than what any uh, one designer or dungeon master could ever come up with got it um I, what you said about the players taking over and and taking control or the dm losing control and a couple of comments in chat uh should Goswick has a great point, I think. The best gift a GM can have is proactive players whose characters have clear agendas. So I I want to touch on that and get your opinion because I think what I what you're working up to and sort of the the message I'm getting from people like you and Joy of Wargaming, John Mollison and uh, um, Sky and everybody is the primacy of the player that we've been looking at the game as a dungeon master centric game what with celebrity dungeon masters on the internet and these great pre-run modules that you can uh, play and the encouragement of dungeon masters to write their own cool world world building story and everything like that um let's turn that on its head like let, let's talk about the primacy of a player because a group of players who are and this is my favorite part of being a dungeon master when i have a group of players who are genuinely interested and see the world as a functioning world and just want to interact with that they're not there to be entertained by anybody else but themselves um i didn't i guess i didn't really have a specific question to that but that's where i see all of this scholarship going um what's is that something that you're conscious of is that something that you're thinking about yeah yeah it's um um when when you put the players like again it's, it's total autonomy 
when most dungeon mastering, ma mastering questions that you see, uh, in, in, even in old dungeon dragon magazines from the eighties, it's like, Hey, my, my, my players are doing something awesome. How do I get them to play what I want them to do? Right. Like that's, that's basically all the, all the questions. Um, the, uh, um, the, the fantasy world, in order to be birthed, it requires way more independent moving parts than what the average game session does. It, 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 it requires uh, a scene uh, and not just you and your three or four friends, okay? And I know a lot of people like have had a, they've got really, really close friends and they played long campaigns with their four or five best buddies and, and, and it was great, you know, but um, I'm just going to say that's not the type of game that Gary Gygax describes in this, in this paragraph that we have on screen right now. Um, the, by, let's, I'm going to talk about anti-fragile gaming here in this context. When, when you have, when, when you have the ability to, to, to run one party or character out, say he's on like a 40 day, uh, wilderness adventure and, and he's, he just goes out and he does this awesome thing, but then it's like, nope, for one month, you've got to do something else now. Right. And then maybe one or two other parties come into being on other parts of the map. Right. And then the, and then now you've got a players that have, have characters on different parts of the map they're thinking about the world not in terms of like this one character anymore they're they're thinking about for any session in the future at that point what's the most exciting thing that this campaign has to offer right like if that guy went 40 days into the future and like made it to sort of like a safe <laughs> base and and then he turned out you know then there were like crazy more awesome stuff was happening on other parts of the map during to due to other uh, interesting things that other players were putting into the game or creating or situations that just came from the random tables and so forth. When that happens, right, every session now uh, becomes sort of this uh, opportunity for the players to play the best possible game that your campaign can produce. So the guys that are limited to one variable, one party, they're always like trying like, how can I break the game? Now, how can I break player autonomy in order to make this one little brinky-dink thing interesting when it can't? It can't. There's a, there's a physical limit to how interesting a linear game can be. But multivariable gaming, right, with different players per character, different... Every time you sit down to a session, is it going to be, oh, is it going to be a wilderness trek? Is it going to be a dungeon crawl? Is it going to be a town adventure? Is it going to be some of all three? Is it going to be a big miniatures battle? Is it going to be, what is it? Uh, or or is, is it going to be player versus player? Is it, uh, oh no, we're going to like do this set of characters. You've now like, you know, in software development, I'm sure you know about A-B testing where you put two different things in front of the, the same group of different groups and you see which one, which one are people preferring, right? This becomes mm -hmm. like an engine for you to find out the best gaming that your campaign can produce and it all runs entirely on total player autonomy and multiple players per character what well i think there's another thing too that that we were sort of talking around right now it also presupposes 
competent, well-adjusted players who, quite frankly, enjoy each other's company or enjoy interacting with each other. Uh, I'll go further than that. I'll go further than that. Um, everything that you've looked at in terms of, of um, uh, cause like most conventional dungeon mastering advice, like, like Robin Laws and other big guys like that, like, you know, and certainly the magazine articles and the blog posts, it's like people really want to break down the different types of player, right? And, uh, and certainly Ron Edwards, right? You know, are you a gamist? Are you a narrativist? Are you a simulationist? Are you, all right, the reason that D&D that &D, uh, as designed was so successful as a game was it didn't matter what type of player you were or what type of player your group was, right? If that campaign is running, if it's a, a, a running campaign um, and some rando group just wants to sit in, okay, you're prepared to run a game for anybody, anywhere, anytime, and it doesn't matter what they want. They'll, they'll, everything is possible. Anything that they could want is in that space. And even if they're not balanced against the other players, that's what we, another thing we saw with the big patron game last month was that I had level 22nd level magic users walking around on the map. I had level 11th magic users. I had people with armies running around. I, you know, I had second level and third level characters operating in that exact same environment and able to have a really good time doing whatever they wanted. And, and there, there were opportunities for them to be a part of like game sessions. Well, not even game sessions, but D&D uh, &D, conflicts that we're going to be talking about for years right so it's this this model when you move away from the single spotlight uh the uh, the auteur uh module scenario created for your six best friends and you open it up and it's like no i'm running a campaign that can accommodate anyone like literally we can move between every possible type of D&D play. We can even integrate every possible type of D&D play at the same time. The results from all of these activities uh, are, 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 are they, they, they don't conflict. They're, there's, you've got no, you know and how, how they fit in time and space and resources and everything else. Uh, and you go back, you look at the cover of the original booklets for D&D now. I'm going to take you back to the dawn of the hobby. If you look at OD&D, what's it say on the cover? It says, rules for fantastic medieval war games, campaigns playable with paper and pencil and miniatures figures, right? I used to look at that and I used to think, you know what? They just didn't have the term role-playing game yet, you know? They'd invented role-playing games, but they didn't have the term for it yet. And so they just used the only language that they knew. Well, that's not actually the case. Uh, they knew exactly what they were talking about. And this is what, what, we, what we're talking about here as a campaign. A, a campaign is not a set of linked scenarios. A, a campaign is somebody's basement where 20, 30, 40 people are coming over any random night, okay? That's what a campaign is. And no matter who comes over, you can make a game in that campaign and it's going to feed into the campaign's lore, the campaign's 
overall state. And uh, these people are going to be growing and contributing to and developing little corners of this thing. And that's what it is. You, you can't run D&D as written unless you can harness the creative potential of more people than what people tend to assume is the norm for playing RPGs. Uh, taken to mean our sort of current paradigm of four to six people sitting around a table once a week getting together. Yeah, and, you you're know, never going to get there. You'll never play D&D with that group. Although, although if you went total autonomy and if you went multiple independent characters per player, you are going to start approaching approaching um, something closer to what Gygax did. Um, and then once you get it, once it takes off, um, uh, like watching people who endure other people's boring campaigns, um, when when they get into a campaign where they're not in a story and where they and where what they what they do has an impact on this campaign world and they and they actually have influence on it and and uh, and they can do what anything they want right um, it's amazing what happens is is that they actually start having fun right yeah um, um, and and when you when you don't have that autonomy because the DM doesn't have the skills to accommodate it, right? Um, it's just painful. It's just painful. I don't know how people can do it. Um, so e even with a small number of people, you can get those multivariables going. Um, you just have to you have to give up the the single party in the spotlight. You have to a lot. You have to force. You know, when you've got training and and injured people, you have to force them to come up with new characters. Uh, the guys in the trial after this came originally. They didn't want to do that. I, I actually I had to. I had to persuade them to try it uh, before before this. Like to, now, the people that played that way, they can't imagine going back because this works so well. Um, but um, but yeah, once once you're at that stage, the next stage up, like as as your world takes into focus, you know you're going to get tired of of your 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 domain level player characters, your 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 big patron type people, the people who give up quests and missions and things like that, and hire the player characters to do things. You're going to get tired of them being just this static thing that exists only to make this one kind of scenario that you had in mind work. At some point, you're just you're just not going to be satisfied with that because when the when the pugmen in the sewers um, are more interesting than your major NPCs that you have in your game, right? Because they actually are are making intelligent choices in, in response to what actually happened in the game. You're, you're just not going to be satisfied with that anymore. Um, and, and of course, as, as like uh, Chanticleer, uh, Chanticleer found out, you know, you can, you can uh, integrate people that can't even sit in at your sessions uh, to play these roles or to inform these roles or to give direction to these higher level roles. That, that, really, that really makes the campaign world real in a way that scenario driven play just is never going to touch um like like just right now um if 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 the tharks in the desert were going to come after trilopolis right like i have a really good idea right now what an assassin's guild and uh 
an 11th level cleric and 11th level magic user can do if they put their heads together. All right. Like, like I've, I've seen all that stuff happen in, in the PVP stuff. And like, it's, it's, um, yeah, the, the gameplay itself informs your imagination so that you can successfully think in higher, higher, uh, levels and larger and larger scopes and in more and more sophisticated scenarios. Did I lose you? Here we go. Sorry, I was on mute. I wanted to ask a question. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit varying off the topic, but we're getting on towards the end of the show anyway. So it's time for potpourri. That's where we ask random questions just because we're kind of curious. Do you use the AD&D psionics rules? Uh, some, not a whole lot. Uh, the uh, uh, Sky Hernstrom's character uh, got the drop on the guy that was going to side blast the party back when I was I was super excited about that. So uh, that particular NPC fizzled. Uh, Ogma's character used uh, psionics to uh, uh, to hack certain rooms of uh, Neobog when that particular location was introduced last year. So uh, it comes up. Uh, uh, one great thing about psionics is that you know, yeah, oh, when you've only got like two and three percent chances of getting it, right? When you have multiple player, multiple characters per player. Uh, the chance of getting psionics in your game actually has a much higher chance of happening because you have such a turnover with the, between the body count and the number of characters in play that you will get to enjoy those rules. Um, so, yeah, um, did not. Oh, and yeah, one psionic creature uh, ate the brain, ate the intelligence of... Uh, of a cleric character in the undead quarter very, very early on. Uh, that was the end of one second level cleric cleric that never really got too far in the game. Um, and do you use the rules uh, where some uh, like divination spells um, can trigger psionic creatures or draw them in or whatever? Those are super, super, super cool rules. I've, I've looked at it. Um, the, um, the chances of it happening, well, first off, there's a lot more spells that can trigger that than you would think. Um, like some of yeah. the spells that, that trigger that are kind of surprising. Um, but on the other hand, like you, it's like, you have to be, um, it, the timing is kind of funny, right? Like you have to, you do the check and if it's, and if, and, and generally you take like, what, what do you take? Like once, once an hour or once every six turns, which is an hour. So, somebody in the chat will tell me if I'm like totally wrong, but um, the uh, uh, like the, the, the timing of the thing has to be just so, so it, it like, it was just weird enough that, that like, you're not, you're not going to check for those types of things very often unless like, um, 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 yeah, it's 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 just really wonky. Um, so they they come up less often than you would think when you would do that check. Um, and so that result never upset the game. But man, uh, if you ended up having a game session where where that did happen, 
you know, you know, allowing the dice to like totally redefine what, what you were going to do that session, you know, that definitely has never gone wrong. Um, uh, this is, this is where, um, super significant campaign elements are born is when you allow, uh, the dice and the random tables like that to just totally, uh, you know, put the, uh, drop the caveman army in your lap as it were. All right. I want to think about that some more. So I'm just going to have to set that aside because I can't stop talking in the middle of the show. That's kind of one of the things that is my job. Um, I don't know another couple of questions uh, while John was on the way out, but fact is we are out of time. Are hey, we? John. Yeah, Hello. we are way out of time. Way out of time. I could talk about D&D all day. Um, sorry about that. My internet just died out on me. I, I did have one relevant question for you, Jeffro. Awesome. Uh, so I am, am I, I'm not going to say I'm a firm believer, but I understand the logic in what you've explained so far. And so I'm excited to try a game with one-to-one -one time or step in on someone else's game just to see what it's like. Uh, because as a DM, I appreciate it when players have autonomy and, and they have their own initiative. Um, as uh, And as a player, I, I do appreciate, I, I'm the type of guy who likes to throw a monkey wrench into the DM's uh, machine and see what breaks. Um, so I would love that uh, on a personal note. But what about, um, what about the people who get together with their buddies for beer, pretzels, and D&D &D every week? They don't really, you know, the, the DM doesn't really want to do necessarily world building or work or everything like that. Or maybe they have a persistent world. Maybe they play stop time or whatever. Um, what can one-to-one -one time do for them? Uh, or, or what lessons have you learned that, that they could take with them so that they could play a little bit closer to what D&D &D, uh, was originally played? Uh, they, they could, if they, if they do what I'm outlining here, they can have the inner conviction that they have actually played D&D &D and that therefore they are entitled now to an opinion about D&D because they've actually played it. You know, there's nothing worse really than, I, I, you know, I've tried to be more pro positive throughout this, but let's just talk about all the people who are going to have reasons why not, or like, oh, I only have two hours a week to play. That's one that we get now. So there's no way, like, no, no, you could, you, you could get a real campaign out of two hours a week if you added in just a little bit of downtime. A little bit of like uh, continuous play on the side. Um, oh, well, I don't play D and D. You know. Oh, oh, but like, what if we're in the dungeon and 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 we run out of time and and like, uh, can't we just stop and pick it up and and, and pick it up the next week? And like, well, no, I'm sorry. Um, do you want to run a campaign or do you want to run fake D and D? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, 
at some point, like, I mean, just think about this. Like I got all these games on my shelf, right? And I have never sat down to play the game, uh, those, these other games, war games, board games, Euro games, you name it. I've never sat down to play those with anyone that are like, hold up, hold up, man. You're actually going to play the rules? What? I, I've never gotten that question. Like, oh, you know what? You know, you could play Settlers of Catan by the rules, but like, man, here, you're just limiting your creativity when you do that, man. Like, never heard that. Never once, right? Um, like, oh, you know what? Rules are more important to you than just having fun, right? Okay, you, you're, you're listening to a very, very weak culture that lacks the imagination to see where real D&D &D leads, okay? So um, that in and of itself is contemptible. It's, it's just gross. It's, it's a fake hobby that has attached itself to gaming. Uh, it, I, I don't care about these people. You know, they, they're, they're completely irrelevant. Uh, they're not ready to play at this level. They're just not. They they need to go to the gym. They need to go outside. Uh, <laughs> they need to they need to learn how to uh, comport themselves when they talk to a pretty girl. They need to do all of these things. If they can do that for a few years, um, you know, maybe then they will be ready for Dungeons and Dragons. But until then, no. There there's no half measures. There's there's no way to 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 get some of the benefits. They have to let go. Uh, a great deal of their arrogance and weakness and frankly, their grossness to even begin going down this path. Uh, I, my experience is the same. I, and uh, I didn't expect to agree with all that, but <laughs> when, let, let me, let me put it this way from my perspective. When I, opened my mind when I came to the OSR stuff with an open mind and um, I, I, I never played much OSR. I, I'm not into drawing uh, maps on uh, graph paper all day. I've tried that. That's not me. But when I came to it with an open mind and discovered, okay, there is an actual game here and fun and enjoyable story emerge from that game well then i accepted it as a valid thing i don't i don't necessarily need to tell anybody hey you're doing dnd wrong but i will say now um you you like the modern game right that's fine i'm glad you find it fun but it's not dnd no, it, it's it's branded dnd and you might find it fun you, but it's not the same thing you don't need a session zero to play, that's, and command, that's it. To play that's Commander the, Colors Ancients. If I want to play a war it. game, I don't need a session zero. If I want to so, play a Euro game, I don't need a session zero. If I want to play either of those games, I don't need a rule zero, right? You don't, like, all of this stuff, it's a, it's a tell that you've got a fake hobby. It, all of these people that tell me, like, hey, man, you're playing by the rules. Like, that's so uncreative. Like, nope, 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 nope. That's a big nope. You, you can recreate the exciting things that I talk about here, because I can give you very, very clear instructions on what to do to how to produce the results that I have enjoyed. 
all of these smart guys who can house rule, who like, oh, I've got the perfect set of house. I tried real D&D, but like these house rules work better for me. Those guys, they, no. Uh, oh, I'm, you know, fudging is okay. Fudging is okay. Yeah, there's times for it. Yeah, fudging is okay. No, no. How no. can I, I can't, I can't recreate your judgment in the table without some sort of description of how to play a game. At some point, you have to start playing a game. So the, uh, I would say like no, no compromise with these people on any, any area because all of these compromises are about creating a non-game that does not, that is not replicable. And also, frankly, it's not as good. It is not as fun. It's not as interesting. Um, it's, it's fake. It's just plain fake. I agree. Um, I could tell, I could tell stories why, but, uh, I think we've, we've all been in those types of games where, um, and okay, well, background, I played a lot of D and D in the past, uh, year or during 2020 with someone who is a very smart guy, a very good game designer. He's, you know, professional game designer. And uh, frankly, I would trust him to write a better D&D than Wizards of the Coast. But no matter how good and smart the DM is, when he stops mid-session and says, you know what, that's, you know, that rules kind of, that doesn't make sense. It offends my sensibilities or it's just plain ba bad game design. Whether, whether you could objectively say so or not, sometimes I just want to like put my pencil down and be like, hey, can we just play Dungeons and Dragons, even if even if it's this non-game fifth edition? We don't we don't need to tailor everything to your specific uh, game or or sensibilities or anything like that. Like there's a game there, and for years people have enjoyed the game. Even the new non-game people have enjoyed it. But session zero you mentioned is the the big red flag that's the canary in the coal mine if you get together with a bunch of people and you say hey we're going to get together for a couple of hours every week let's nail down exactly what everybody wants so everybody can be happy that's then you're not playing the same thing what happened to if you if you like you mentioned board games if you walked over and slapped a box of risk or monopoly down on the table and be like, cool, welcome to our weekly game club. Uh, grab a drink, pick a color, let's play, right? Everybody knows that you're playing Monopoly or, or something like that. Um, we, don't need, we don't need authors. We don't need storytellers. We don't be, need wannabe Matthew Mercers who think they're going to get a star team of actors to, to be in character nonstop. Um, and on a personal note, no, I don't want to talk to any of your NPCs ever. <laughs> I, that's I, that's ones I I acknowledge. That's just me. A lot of people love that stuff. A lot of DMs love being in character and talking. Get get out of here. Um, I uh, half the half the time I just explain what I want to explain. Um, sometimes. Sometimes doing double duty, I'll I'll say what I want to say and then actually say it in character and so on and so forth. But yeah, 
when when you have that problem, you know, or sorry, when you have that session zero, you know that you have a problem because of that framework. If everybody everybody should already be on the same page, and you say, hey, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. What are they negotiating? I I just I I as, as someone that loves games and that plays games, I just like what are um, they negotiating? The I, typical I, typical session zero, at least for relatively well-adjusted people i'm not going to talk about uh, <laughs> 2021 seattle all right when we talk normal people or at least normal gamers who want to play D, it's things like hey guys so i've got a few different game worlds or campaign settings i'd like to play or in some cases there's a couple of different games i want to run do we want to do a cyberpunk thing or do we want to do and then when you pick a game let's say in this example D, it's long lines of cool well you know, character creation takes a long time. Let's start creating characters, and we'll sort of talk about who's going to be in the party and, you know, make sure that uh, some people like to metagame and say, oh, well, let's let's have a well-balanced party. Like, you can't go anywhere without a cleric, right? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there are other people who are like, yeah, let's make sure that, you know, the characters are going to mesh because uh, if we're going to be an adventuring party, a group of heroes, you know, the super friends, then we'll we'll do, hey, let's let's make sure that uh, our characters' alignments or personalities aren't going to clash too much, right? Like, ultimately, we want to we get together. Yeah, Sky said it. Yeah, usually party construction, oh, we need a healer, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. That's what session zero in D&D sense usually means. So it's sort of uh, like picking the milieu, let's get our characters together, let's get the party together. It's, it's not as bad as you think, but... Yeah, it's. I find it largely to be a waste of time. Roll three d six straight. Get your character and go. I thought session zero was for spending all the gold because that's the longest and most boring part of creating a character. Is looking at all those little lists and trying to figure out how much stuff costs and then wasting money from your character sheet to right. buy all the crap you need. Like even with something like like BX, which is as simple as you can boil down D and D and still be D and well close to D and D anyway. Um, like you know, you're, you're you know, I would run that for just random people, you know, whoever would come in off the street, you know, or at convention games and things like that. But like to just have people sit down, you, they they can't make any. They can't. They can learn about the game through rolling up characters together, but like normal people, they don't have. They don't, they, they don't know what they want, right? They don't know, they have no idea. Why are, why are you asking role players what they want? That's the last people who would know. Um, you know they, 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 you're talking, you're, most people, they, they're not gonna figure out that, oh, the sleep spell, if I, if, we should get the sleep spell. You know, they don't know that. They, they, they have no idea which one's the best spell. Every decision that you give to the people at that stage is just detracting from the game, you know? Yeah. Like if you like playing D and D, you'll like playing D and D as an assassin. You know, you'll like playing D and D as the paladin. You'll, if you like playing D and D, you'll like playing almost any type of character in any in any type of group. And the fun's going to be, what's the fun going to come from, right? From you, from you having like uh, felt out everybody to make sure they're all okay with this particular set of characters that are going to like that. That just needs to die. Like that has, you know, well, you. If you if you play D and D, you will explore many roles, and then you will discover what you actually like, as opposed to what you think you like. So I, I'm just I'm gonna say even even this less noxious type of session zero that 
that you're throwing out there. I'm going to say Trilopulus demonstrates that um, that it's 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 flawed. It it's just it'll it it it's it's assuming it's assuming that you know what you're going to be doing three weeks from now, which in a real campaign you have no idea. So yeah, I, and I'm I'm with you 100% on that. Uh, I personally prefer the randomness of the dice. Like just give me give me a level one player character, and I'll start playing. Right? D as you said, D and D is fun. Let's play D and D. Yep. Um, people who who play D and D, and and these are the sort of things that um, if you've been following, have you been following Brian Niemeyer's blog? Oh, uh, certainly, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's been talking about this in terms of stories and TV shows, but um, this is where uh, your research overlaps with his observations on um, people's needs for self-reflection. They they want input into the character creation process. They want to feel good and creative, and they I want to make a cool fantasy hero for this setting. <gasps> I'm gonna be an elf who runs through the forest and casts magic spells and lives with the fairies and blah 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 right they, they dream this stuff up and they want to make that or oh i'm so glad you're starting a new dungeons and dragons game i've got this dragonborn sorcerer template i've been wanting to try out and i'm so glad to have a game where i can try my own special snowflake build and blah 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 that's that's not me um they're, they're, i they're yeah, D and D characters are pawns in a game. Um, I, and, I I I disagree, I disagree and, slightly, but but I think when when you when you get off of that idea of I am just this character, they don't have to be they don't have to be pawns, right? But you know, instead, hey, I'm playing this character, but this is just one hero or one soldier among many, right? I think there's a middle ground, but go ahead, I, you you're yeah. making a point. Oh no, um. The, um, uh, the, the problem with uh, uh, special snowflakeism is, is uh, and, and you see this in, the, in, in over-elaborate combat rules, so that, because like the, the argument's always going to be, well, the magic user isn't equally important in the combat as the fighter who's doing all this stuff. And so there's like, a, up through fourth edition, you'll see this, like, I want every, everybody to be equally important in every stage of the game. And what that usually means is turn the game into combat and lose everything else, right? Um, so the um, uh, oh, what was the thing again? What's the question? Oh, I don't. I, I don't remember. I was just rambling. Oh, the um, well, dang it. Um, but the uh, so, oh, the special snowflakes, right? Oh yeah, the special um, snowflakes who they love so their D and D. This is the most. I think this is the most important thing to come out of the Trollopulus game is that is that there are about six or seven different modes of play and the different classes, particularly the weird classes in AD&D, like the, the Druid and the Ranger and the Assassin, they are, are, are built around the assumption that all of these modes in play will be significant in the campaign. And um, until you have the aha moment where you see these modes and you're like, holy crap, all of these modes coexist and, and we can like transition between them even in the same session um, or in the, or in the pregame or everything else. When you get there and you see that these character classes um, tap into that, uh, that's a point where you, where you really begin to see 
D and D for what it is, uh, as opposed to what's been imposed on it. Okay. Um, that's a great place to wrap it up, but are there any, anything else in your notes that we need to go over before calling it? No, I think this is it. This is it. That was oh, a um, great... definitely a uh, shout out to John Mollison who, uh, who uh, has made several videos uh, on these topics, uh, things that would have stayed in the BroSR chat uh, forever. He's uh, brought out and put in a format that, that uh, regular people can uh, get excited about and relate to. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, definitely Sky here, who like showed me this that, that, that playing real D&D could be done. And... Uh, uh, who, oh, um, Mephredus for memeing uh, us into uh, a respect for the AD&D game when it wasn't cool. Uh, that's definitely big. Who else is really big in here? Uh, oh, Bradford Walker, uh, who's been, who's been following very closely uh, all of these developments here. And I, I think he's seen some of the implications of, of, of this type of gaming uh, probably before even I did. Um, so uh, yeah, his blog is definitely one to follow. Um, and uh, oh, uh, as far as other games that are doing what we're talking about here, one-to-one -one time would have been just this weird thing I did in 2020 if it wasn't for B-Dubs1776. If you check out his blog, B-Dubs and Dragons, he's got, he's running with Axe. Now I didn't give anyone permission to run game systems other than AD&D or OD&D. But um, he's gotten some fantastic results uh, and a fantastically uh, long in a living campaign, a thriving campaign by applying one-to-one -one time to the Axe system. And his players are just super excited, super loyal, and he has to beat them off with a stick. Uh, furthermore, he has a different style of, of game mastering to mine and uh, uh, values different things. He has different strengths. Maybe I'm not going to say he has any weaknesses, but definitely different strengths. Um, so seeing how some of these ideas play out when you've got a different personality driving it, um, super, super uh, important, super, super valuable. And also like the competition, you know, they, they can't touch. 30 plus session re reports uh, that that break down how this stuff actually works. They they just they're just not going to do it. So, um, not sure who we left out. Hopefully nobody. Um, but those are definitely some people you want to check out. Uh, oh, and then finally, uh, Chanticleer, who is the guy who uh, who broke the uh, the. Uh, who established patron style play, uh, Bronstein style play. He integrated it with one-to-one -one play. He proved that it had legs, that it was a really great idea, that it was a really surprising idea when you put those two things together. He actually, uh, I don't like talking about this. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing to me, but you know, he, he learned one-to-one -one time for, uh, by playing in B-dubs game. And then he went and applied it to a fifth edition Waterdeep campaign. And uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed that anyone playing fifth edition was doing something cool. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I can report to you that when he applied these ideas to that game, the, 
the campaign world of, of Waterdeep and Forgotten Realms, it catalyzed with these ideas and it immediately, or not, not immediately, but it very quickly became so alive, so rich on its own that he's basically working in an original campaign world at this point, at this time. It's, it's Waterdeep in name only. He probably needs to come up with a new name for his campaign now, uh, if you ask me. Um, and probably maybe even switch to AD&D. I don't know if he's ready for that. <laughs> Return. Uh, sounds good. That's a great list of people and blogs. I'm looking at B-dubs and dragons now. Uh, low frills accession reports. Old school internet 1.0 stuff. I love it. Um, and and I got your Twitter link in the description. Is that the best place to see what you're up to? That is absolutely the best place. Okay, cool. Um, I'm out of questions. We're out of time. Daddy Warpig, do you have any other questions for Jeffro? Uh, not on the air. Not on the air. All right, we're going to ask you about your uh, personal stuff later, I guess. Um, but I'm done for today. I am going to take a moment to thank you guys for hanging out for an extra long special episode. Uh, Jeffro, it's always good to have you on. We'd love to have you back sometime. Thank you. Uh, Shout out to chat. I'm not going to name names because uh, everybody was here today. Love the lively discussion there from our unusually handsome and intelligent audience. Um, and I hope everybody listening later really enjoyed the discussion of uh, D&D today. Uh, and that's it for me this week. Uh, Daddy Warpig, take it away. All right, folks. Uh, again, uh, thanks, everybody who showed up live, participated in the chat. Thanks, everybody who will be listening later. Uh, we are available on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. We're also available on the iTunes Store, SoundCloud.com, and the Google Play Store. It isn't mentioned to me that Amazon also has a uh, uh, podcast directory, and I suppose we should get around to looking into that. Uh, which I guess I should maybe kind of indicate that I might get around to doing sometime. But don't quote me on that. Thanks, everybody, uh, for coming in. We are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.